Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome here. Thank you for being here. Um, I won't be here long. Uh, I'll just give the stage to uh, Conspiracy Nut and Seth Vernier, who are going to share some of their insights today. Um, I hope you prepared some questions. Feel free to leave them in uh, voice chat text. Uh, you can ask all you want. Uh, if they don't like the question, they'll, they'll answer it, so uh, don't worry. Uh, please keep it civil. Please keep it um, relevant to questions, so uh, uh, no discussion, rather, so they don't have to skip through all the questions. Uh, skip through all the discussion uh, to see the questions. Uh, yeah, hope you have a good time. Guys, uh, you can introduce yourself now. Go ahead. What's up, guys? I am the Coinspiracy Nut. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm Seth Fenrir. You can just call me Seth. So let's uh, let's start with this this question. It's a good opener. So what prior trading experience did we have before crypto, and what skills did we find transferred over the most least between markets? So why don't you answer that first? So uh, I have been trading uh, equities for a few years. Um, I started with super volatile, uh, like nano cap, uh, like biotech stocks, um, <clears throat> really trying to day trade, but unfortunately with, uh, uh, on regular securities, you have to have $25,000 minimum, uh, to be able to do more than three day trades a week. And at that point in my life, I did not have that much liquid capital to put into markets, uh, but I traded that for a couple of years. Um, I did all right. Uh, got into trading some options where I feel like I did a little bit better. Um, regardless of what like my returns were, I really feel like that's where I cut my teeth on trading. I got really, really used to um, watching large amounts of money become mine and then not become mine really, really quickly. Uh, but when it comes to skills that I found transferred over, um, it really helped me uh, understand what this process looked like. Um, and kind of thinking about, you know, the biggest thing for me was not to be results oriented. Uh, I traded with a group of people that uh, wouldn't think about their strategy. They would only look at their results. And for me, results only show half the picture. And so sometimes they would uh, do really well on a couple of trades in a row, but for all the wrong reasons. And, um, and so like, I want to have a strategy that statistically um, is going to be profitable for me. And I understand from my prior trading that even a statistically profitable strategy can be really unprofitable at times. But that doesn't mean I should just start doing dumb stuff just because uh, it worked out for someone else because it's probably not going to work out for me. Okay, so um, what prior ex uh, trading experience that I have, the answer is absolutely, completely none. Uh, I had nice. not <laughs> traded a single penny nor a fake piece of paper in my entire life. And actually, I had zero interest whatsoever in doing so. Uh, I first came into the market in about the third week of December 2017. The majority of my investment that I currently trade with uh, was bought at about $18,000 per Bitcoin. And I 100% was that person who FOMO'd in off of like hearing their friends talk about it. So, yes. Uh, so if you're new here, welcome. Yes, I, I am absolutely one you can talk about, you know, oh my God, I'm underwater. My life is in ruined. How, you know, how can I get out from under this? How can I make money despite all this? 
but yes, honestly, if you had talked to me even six months ago and said, oh, you'll be spending 80% of your free time trading, I would have laughed in your face. Yeah, it's uh, it, it really is a uh, an all-encompassing uh, top, you know, hobby jump into it. Um, you want to pick the next question? Um, yeah, let me let me scroll down here a little bit. Okay, I, I guess we'll do Nevermore's next. Uh, where should someone new to crypto start, and should they learn TA or just look for value investments? Uh, do they need to know about blockchain? Uh, and how did you figure out what kind of trader you are, or are you still figuring it out? So as someone new to crypto, um, I think the best place to start is a place just like this. I don't think there is a single more valuable resource uh, that we have access to than each other. Uh, personally, I have a very short attention span, and I've made it through very, very little of our uh, resources section. And you know, pretty much any video on trading or anything, I, I have, I've definitely not gotten to the end of any of them. I learn TA by discussing TA with you guys and looking at charts that others have made, and then you know, charting for myself and seeing if I can, if I can come to the same conclusions or if I can come to different conclusions. Um, but yeah, there's nothing more valuable to me uh, for learning TA than than you all. Uh, whether you're experts or novices, I think everyone can have a very important view on technical analysis. Uh, as for do you need to know about blockchain or you know, fundamental analysis, uh, I think that's sort of a case-by-case -case basis and depends on what you want out of your investment experience. Um, I'm quite uh, pessimistic, I guess you could say, in that think about 90% of the current projects, uh, even some of the good ones will exist two years from now. So I personally don't have a lot of long-term investments, despite there being projects that I do really like, um, which then leads into how do I figure out what kind of trader I am? I am a much shorter scale trader than many here. Um, I would say my long-term trades are like one to two weeks. And um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to adjust that as, as we change markets here a little bit. But, you know, honestly, I, I think it's, a, it's not a great idea to trade against your own nature. I think uh, it's best that you acknowledge your faults and weaknesses and then insulate yourself from them while going along with it. Sorry, my cutum alarm just went off. Nice. Good alarm, bad alarm? Good alarm. Nice. So Sorry, that's it. Go ahead. Um, you know, if you're new to crypto, you know, I think that this second question, like, do they need to know about blockchain? I think that, uh, understanding blockchain is one of the highest value activities that you could be doing in this world right now. Um, it might not lead to directly profitable trades immediately for you, but as this becomes a more legitimized asset class, um, <clears throat> being someone who knows about how blockchain works, what's gone wrong with prior blockchains, what advantages certain technologies have over others is a super valuable skill. And I invest as much time into doing that as I do into my trading. Um, but technical analysis is simply like learning how to tell the story of what 
the markets are about to do. And a big part of that for me is fundamental analysis. Uh, but fundamental analysis in crypto looks very different than, uh, than it does in a traditional market because so much more of it is pure speculation. Like we don't have, um, you know, actual like earnings reports to value these blockchains off of. So if I was new, um, I like just what SAS said, I would dive into groups like this, find, you know, get connected to people on Twitter, listen to what they're talking about, and then always ask yourself the question, why? Like, why does this person care about this specific element in this blockchain? Why does this person keep um, tweeting about the same, you know, ticker? How come somebody always uses this indicator? And start to like critically ask yourself, why is this important to someone else? And out of that, you're going to kind of de develop what, what indicators or, um, you know, both on the chart and in the market matter most to you. And I think that's how you're going to find your style. Okay. Why don't you pick the next one? If you're new and trying to learn trading, can I realistically trade with a full-time job? Lots of people share charts on when to buy, but I see a lot less charts on when to sell. How do I know when to sell? So, um, I think you can trade crypto with a full-time job. I do. Um, I run a, a nonprofit that does mental health education in middle schools and high schools, and I have a lot of work to do at my job. Um, so that's why I tend to look at things on a slightly longer time frame. Um, I don't have the time to catch smaller moves um, sitting in front of a chart. Uh, but when I do, I do have the capability of trading on shorter time frames, and oftentimes you know, we've, Seth and I have traded before where I just like hop in a chat and him and I are working on the one minute charts um, and, and trying to catch moves there. Um, you know, for me, looking for me, when to sell is very similar to when to buy. And for me, it's almost always about horizontal support and resistance. I look at charts and I try to find places where price action had a lot of trouble moving over or under historically on the chart. So if I see uh, a bunch of candles end in the same place um, on higher time frames, or a bunch of wicks that failed to move past a certain area, I put a red line on my chart there. And the next time that price approaches that, uh, it's gonna respect that level more than it would just some random red line. And so if I set all those red lines for prior resistance or support, uh, as a, a coin breaks up through one of the areas of resistance, I'm going to expect that the price is going to wander until it hits that next level. Um, and I use those horizontal levels of support and resistance to find some sell areas. Um, okay, so I'm going to, yeah, I guess I'll take both parts of those. Can you trade with a full-time job? Yes. Um, is it harder? Yes, but I absolutely do it. Um, and even if I end up making a lot of money, I do plan to continue my job. Um, so I, it, yes, it is harder. Um, and some days I definitely do trade at work far more than I should. But, you know, you, you can definitely just do it part time and be totally profitable. As for when to sell, I'm going to echo the horizontal support um, as that's pretty much one of the strongest indicators we have. Um, it's a very good example of simpler is better. And actually, um, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, so I'm going to take 30 seconds to do so now. 
the whole concept of horizontal support is based off of price history. And most of the time, all we have to trade on is price history. Unless you're past an all-time high and wandering around in unknown space, all, you know, we're obeying historic landmarks. And what uh, turning points, I call them extrema, minima, and maxima, uh, you'll see where you know, the price went up and it stopped and it turned back down. And it went down and it stopped and it turned back up. Those turning points become psychological uh, points where people say, okay, well, I am going to put sells or buys here because this is where it stopped the last time. And that's how the concept of horizontal support comes to be. Um, the more times something stops and turns at that point, the stronger the support is going to be because you go, oh, well, it, 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 uh, it bumped its head there twice and then it turned around. So I am going to set my sells there again. And so the third time, uh, there are even more cells, and that's why you need even more volume to get through uh, horizontal supports, the more and more touches there are. So uh, yeah, long story short, I think when to sell is the signals increase linearly with the amount of times a price interacts with the horizontal support and fails there. And let me just ex expand on that because you talked about coins that broke all-time highs, and we were talking about this the other day. When I find a coin that breaks a prior all-time high on the Bitcoin pairing chart, I don't have those horizontal support and resistance lines anymore. And you know, we could, you know, deep dive into Fibonacci extensions and things like that. But my my favorite thing to do, and this is on longer time frames, is to find comparable coins and look at their current market caps and their all-time high market caps, and then calculate what the market what the per coin price for the coin we're looking at would be um, if it were to hit that prior market cap because i view that those total market caps as prior price history that we can draw virtual lines of horizontal resistance uh, on a coin that breached a new time high by looking at a similar project um, you know, like if I wanted to look at something like Icon, I could look at another uh, a prior chart like Neo and kind of use that as a thought experiment. Uh, one one final thing there, since I I do it a little bit differently, I think that's a really strong method, um, but I'm often not willing to devote myself uh, devote that much of my time to finding <laughs> uh, you know where where someone's going to stop. So when we're looking at all-time highs, I definitely rely heavily on you know uh, standard indicators such as stock RSI, uh, the ADX, regular RSI, MACD, as well as the fact that you know humans are very simple. They like round numbers, tens, fifties, one hundreds. There are going to be sell walls there. So you you know you work that into your trading and you say, okay, well you know, the, the all-time high was 8,000 and we're approaching 9,000. I'm going to set a sell at like 89, you know, 67. Say that one more time for the people in the back. <laughs> Round numbers are dangerous. Don't do it. <laughs> That's so true. You think it's, I remember trading the penny stocks. Once something broke a dollar, it suddenly $3 was in play in people's heads. Before it broke a dollar, there was no way people were talking you know, multiples of a dollar. 
Um, it is, it is a mental barrier that is huge for people. And I think 10,000 was the big one for Bitcoin. All right. You want to pick the next question? Yeah. Um, I actually saw it down here. One that I really, really wanted to talk about. Um, again, from Nevermore. Sorry, we're neglecting everyone but the other mods. Yeah, so everyone this else is the can last go home. Nevermore question. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was your worst trade, and what could you have done to avoid it? Uh, and I was actually really hoping to talk about this tonight. So about two weeks ago, um, I was in a really, really bad state mentally. I, I had been injured, um, and I really, really, really shouldn't have been trading. And that's something I want to emphasize to you. I know. In hindsight, I should not have been trading. Uh, and anytime you really feel like you shouldn't be trading, do not trade. So now that I get that out of the way, I should not have been trading. Um, and for one reason or another, I was trading with about 80% of my entire Binance wallet. Ooh. Yeah, it was, you know, I was in a bad mental place. And I was making you know, mistakes left and right. And I FOMO'd into a pump. Again, you know, my brain just wasn't there. And I'm riding and I've made like 10 or 20% or whatever. And I exit with profit and I go, okay, awesome. I just made a, a good amount of money. And then I see it keep going. And, you know, that, that little bug in the back of your head goes, well, you could make more money. And so I re-enter. I go to set my stop loss and my Binance browser freezes from a giant market dump as I'm setting the stop loss. Um, I panic. Again, I'm not in a great mental mental place there. Uh, by the time I really get my wits about me to figure out what I'm doing, uh, I end up selling at about a 30, well, 20 or 30% loss. I think closer to 20 at that point. Now, I spent the next two days panicking, uh, really anxious, really nervous, and chasing that profit, again, uh, trading with really big stacks. And all it did was cause me to lose a lot more before, and before I finally you know, settled myself down. And at the end of the day, I had lost, I actually put the numbers up earlier, let me grab them. Um, I had lost 36.49% of my entire Binance trading wallet. Now, what those, what those numbers are don't matter. That's still a huge percent. And the thing I, I want to really extra emphasize here is that loot, to lose 37% is one thing. But to gain, to get back to where you started is not as simple as gaining 37%, as I'm sure a lot of you know. What it actually entails is gaining 57.45%. Because when you lose, let's say you're trading with three Bitcoin, you lose a third, you're down to two Bitcoin. To get back to three Bitcoin, you need to make half of two Bitcoin, a full Bitcoin. It is a lot easier to lose money than it is to make it. Um, and that's something everyone should always keep in mind. And that's why we talk about protecting profits and et cetera. Uh, all that said, I have now made about 98% of that back you know, trading intelligently and, you know, making small trades and doing the thing that I knew to do in the first place that I somehow let get away from me. But like really the moral of this story is, you know, do not trade when you're in a bad mental place. Do not chase those profits. 
if you're a person like me who is very impulsive and emotional, you know, don't, don't, you know, do things like that alone. Don't trade alone. Talk your trades out with other people and, you know, give yourself the opportunity of a backstop. Uh, I cannot, I cannot emphasize that enough. Yeah. And the idea of like, don't lose money is like one of the most profitable strategies because it's hard. You, you think like, oh, I only lost 10% on that trade, but like you need to make more than 10% to get it back. Okay. Well, your turn to answer that. Okay. Um, so I think my, my worst trade uh, was, um, I forget what month it was. It was at the end of last year and uh and icos were all of the rage and um i decided that i was like gonna jump into one but i didn't like a lot of the icos because of their kyc requirements and i didn't want to like send my passport to some stranger so i ended up uh going big and uh, on this uh electronium ico and I, I just like totally bought the hype i don't know everybody was like you know 20x in 100x in their icos and there was just like a million youtube videos and i did very little research on it myself and like bought a ton of tokens in the ico and then did my research second and as i started researching it i'm like this project uh doesn't seem to be doing anything revolutionary and then they had a ton of issues on launch and a ton of issues getting the blockchain up. They ended up like just forking. Um, I forget if it was some other existing coin last minute and then their block explorer didn't even like have the electronium updated. And so I'm just like in the pit of my stomach. I'm like, when this thing finally hits, it is gonna dump so hard and I need to get out before it does. And everybody was telling me, no, 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 no. ICOs dump on the first day but you don't want to sell it at the bottom of the first day. They come back. And I just was like, no, 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 this, this project's crap. It's going to go into the, 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 the ground and it's never, ever going to come back. And so ICOs talk tokens launch. I'm like feverishly trying to get my uh, tokens to an exchange. It goes from like 11 or 1200 uh, Satoshis to like 800 Satoshis. And I'm just waiting for my 20 transactions to go. And then it's like 500 Satoshis. And then it was like 350 and mine finally kicked in. And as I, I, I like sold it as fast as I could. And 10 minutes later, it was up at like 650 Satoshis. And it was a significant amount of money for me at the time. And that was like my one, that was probably the most emotional I've ever been when I was trading. And I did not um, heed anybody else's advice. And I sold the absolute bottom on that coin. Um, now my, my like hypothesis about the quality of the project may or may not have been right. But right there, I was emotional and, um, and ended up selling the bottom out of fear, even though I consulted with people that told me that like, it's going to drop, but you're going to have a better opportunity to sell and don't try to get in on that first candle. Um, but I did anyway. Uh, so one, one last point I'd like to say now that both of us have, have proved that we're human. There's nobody in crypto who is perfect. There are very few people in crypto who are even, you know, better than 60%. If you're ever talking to somebody and they tell you that they don't 
you know, make mistakes or their calls are always right, or you're reading through Twitter or Reddit or what have you, and you only see charts that are correct and nobody going, oops, well, I guess I messed that one up. Run for the hills because they are lying to you. Everyone makes mistakes, including us. And if we didn't, I'd be on some island somewhere. <laughs> Probably not here. No offense. <laughs> it's exactly true. Okay, uh, you're up next. So I got to, this one was to me. So um, he's asking me because, uh, or they're asking me uh, because my name is Coinspiracy Nut. Do I have any opinions on an article that they read that said something about cryptocurrencies being an attempt by a select few to create a global currency to further control or so profit from the global population. Well, I think we could have a, comp a, a totally separate call about this. Um, but one of the things that I love about blockchain is that a select few group of a select few people are always trying to further their ability to control or profit profit from the many. That is not, that is in every aspect of my life, that is a truism. But the nice part about blockchain as an implementation of a global currency is that these, uh, you know, our participation in it is completely uh, voluntary and that a consensus of people deciding to participate in it in a different way will lead to a fork um, or a removal of control. So like blockchain as a consensus mechanism, whether it's proof of stake or proof of work, um, allows us, the users or creators of the network, to make a decision uh, that our consensus goes against the uh the select few now does that mean that it's not going to be able to happen um no it's probably i mean you see it with coins now the the uh there are constantly people with means and connections trying to buy up all of your favorite coins so that they can make the price do what it wants um that being said if this was to become a global currency um, there would be way more uh, proactive action taken uh, by some very, very smart members of the public to make sure that things like that weren't happening. And so although I, I have a lot of opinions about a global currency and what that would mean or represent, um, and, and, and also why uh, the U.S. is probably never going to allow there to be a true global currency unless we have a major change in our infrastructure. Um, but, uh, that being said, I do think that blockchain as a global, uh, currency is, is the implementation I would have wanted to see as I sit in my room with a tinfoil hat on. Oh, I'm really glad you chose this one. <laughs> okay. So I have read this article, I believe, I, I believe this is the one referring to the, the cartel and it specifically references manipulation in, uh, gold and silver and other precious metal prices and holy shit. Do I think it is a load of crap? The now, yes, I am the will be one of the first people to say there are absolutely people manipulating the price of Bitcoin right now on you know Bitmex and whatever, and that the you know futures have opened up the market to a decent amount more of you know manipulation. I think that's undeniable, but that's also on a very, very, very small scale, no matter what we think. 
we have a very small market cap now compared to what we had uh, a couple months ago. Granted, it's you know exponentially larger than what it was a couple of years ago. But right now, we you know manipulating the market is literally shooting fish in a barrel. It's you know it doesn't take a grand conspiracy to do that. You don't have the Illuminati, you know, a global cabal conspiring to keep the price of Bitcoin down right now. That is, it's it's nonsense when you when you think about you know. The United States and China are sitting there, you know, <laughs> gun, you know, economic guns pointed at each other just because they can't agree. Do you think, you know, really that the governments of the world are going to get together on this and only this to to keep the price down? If if that's what you think, you're welcome to your opinion, but I, I say categorically no. And I'd like to say a little bit about the silver and precious metal manipulation that is referenced in the uh in the article and referenced without much proof, mind you. Uh, as I am not a traditional investor, but I am a scientist, the first thing that I did upon reading such a claim without proof was I went to peer-reviewed journals, financial analysis and qualitative analysis journals. Now I'm not in this field, but I know how to read academic papers. And I do did see a large number of papers on precious metal manipulation and in the stock market and you know do the claims stand up against you know various other you know uh, market excuse me market uh, facets i read them about 3 weeks ago i can't give you very many highlights from them but i can tell you that they exist and if you don't believe me you should go read them but the you know, overwhelming result is that no, there is no evidence saying some shadowy global cabal is manipulating the price of, sorry, the price of silver. I have a lot of trading alarms. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but there's nobody manipulating, you know, the price of silver from behind the scenes, for example. And, that, you know, there's absolutely no global conspiracy doing it with Bitcoin, in my opinion. But so for me, an important thing to to reference here is from like a trading lesson is that you are always going to want to find a reason that your thesis did not work out, that the trade went against you. And a lot of times that leads to people thinking that there is someone or something that is against them. But the truth is, it's just the market. There are a lot of reasons that, that Bitcoin fell as far as it did. But the number one reason was that the retail market got really, really manic. It had a blow off top. And although we all wanted Bitcoin to go higher, one by one, we sold off a little of our Bitcoin because we didn't want to feel it going any lower. And that uh, in aggregate, that action is the primary price action driver that that drove us to this like 80% crash. Now you could also say there was, you know, market there's definitely evidence of market manipulation of, on in some days or candles or trades. You could say it's the Mt. Gox coins getting sold in. All of those are elements, but at the end of the day, market action uh are all of our thoughts, ideas and decisions in aggregate often appear to to um, you know, be a united move that we want to attribute to a single person or a single thing, and it's just not. It's just us. It's just all of us trading. Uh, it's a really good, really good summary. 
Um, okay, so uh, we said no more never more questions, but he brings up a good point that we didn't really introduce ourselves beyond like when did we get into trading? Yeah. And so I guess um, I'll do that now and answer Nevermore's question. Um, so I am an astrophysicist with a background in applied math and computer science. Specifically, um, I work on a NASA mission. I won't go into more detail than that. And my research is in computational general relativity and in developing numerical partial differential equation solvers. Um, so I have a very, very, very strong background in math and model building because all physics is nothing more than building models. Um, so Nevermore asks, how does my background in science and math affect my trading and understanding of crypto? Um, as I said earlier, I have never really finished reading a, a single resource on technical analysis. I talk to you guys and I learn on my own. And what that means is I use a number of indicators that many people uh, consider irrelevant or outdated. Uh, and I use them often in ways counter to what their purpose is. And I do this because there are things in these, about these indicators or about these indicators combined with price action that allows me to build a model that is testable as far as I'm concerned. And if I can build a testable model and I can get enough data points that I, I have, you know, a strong feeling about a you know, like that I can make a conclusion on and I can make a trade on, I don't care how I got there. I don't care if it was based on clouds, RSI, MACD, I don't care. If I can, if I can build a predictive model, I will do it. Um, so I will say that is very heavily because of my background in physics, because we are taught to take very complicated, you know, dynamical systems and you know, break them down into you know, harmonic oscillators and spherical caps. Uh, in that aspect, reading, reading these charts is, is pretty easy for me. Uh, as far as understanding crypt cryptocurrencies, um, obviously I understand the high performance computing and cloud computing ones better, uh, as well as you know, ones about data throughput and bandwidth and stuff like that. As far as things like supply chains, uh, I don't super care. I understand they're important, but uh, other people are around to tell me why they're important. Nice. Yeah, and um, so I uh, am uh, have been working in the mental health advocacy field for about five years and had very little uh, affiliation with any math or financial markets um, really love uh, the work that I do uh, mental health has always been a priority for me I like making it a priority for other people I think one of the reasons that I'm able to be uh, a trader is is because of the work that I've done on my own internal narrative uh, you know being in control of my self-talk being able aware of what my uh, feelings are and where my triggers are um, and, you know, if you, uh, if you haven't gotten in touch with the way you think and the way that you feel in certain situations, uh, trading will open that all up for you to take a real good hard look at. So use that opportunity. Um, you know, how we operate when we're under pressure, when we're emotional, um, says a lot about like 
you know, who we are as people. And I use trading as like a little microcosm to practice, um, you know, how I'm going to operate under pressure and how I'm going to make decisions when I'm emotional and then how to process those emotions when it's appropriate. Cause that's the part, you know, people say, you know, trade and don't be emotional, but I don't know when you lose 80% of your, uh, uh, of, of your of your net worth in crypto over two months like that stuff hurts and you those feelings are valid and you have to acknowledge and process them because uh, if you just shut them out they're going to get buried and then they're going to pop up when you want them to the least so for me it's about being able to operate under pressure when it's appropriate and then process the feelings that i had because of that situation when it's appropriate and that's often not in front of when i'm in a trading screen and it's definitely not when i'm logged into uh to um you know bitmax and um you know if you if you experience a loss as a trader put it down um the thing that people especially you know i'll speak for myself uh you know i'm really vulnerable to uh revenge trading or uh you know f you know submitting to some fallacies that like now that i am down i must get myself back up and if you ever sit down to do a trade and you feel like you must trade you got to look at your motives um, because you never have to take a trade. And when you feel like you have to take a trade, you're going um, to you're going to see some things in the chart that are going to to support that bias. And you're going to do uh, some things that are probably going to end up losing you money. And so if you lose a couple of trades in a row and it hurts, put it down, put the trading down. There will be plenty of opportunities for you in the future. Um, but but what you need to do is you need to preserve the rest of the capital you have left and then go refill that personal capital, that emotional capital that you take it, that you have to like, you know, feed into your trades. And so, um, you know, you know, I've had a, a great week trading, um, but I, I, I get over exuberant when I, I have a great week trading and I want to probably jump into a bunch of positions that I shouldn't. And so like last week, I mean, yesterday when my wife said that she wanted uh, to do some stuff with the garden, like we hopped right in the car and I spent the whole day like digging around in the dirt because that was good space for me from this, this stuff. Um, money has power over people. Uh, minds and emotions and if you spend all day looking at what you're making and what you're losing that becomes an obsessive task that can be really really overwhelming really really quickly so the best advice i could give you for mental health as a trader is um is, is take some space when you need it and that means when you're winning and when you're losing because uh, if you're if you're running on empty uh your account's going to be running on empty before you know it uh and just to, again to echo coin um it's very, very, very easy for people you don't know to tell you, hey, just don't be, don't be emotional. Don't trade with your emotions, man. Um, and that's super great and easy to say, but people are different and we react differently to stimuli uh, and, you know, people's, you know, brains, their brain chemistry is different. I am a very impulsive and emotional person and it takes a lot of effort for me to stifle that in crypto. And honestly, I, w I wasn't doing that great um, until I really learned to do that. Um, and now when I trade, I have some green tea beside me and, you know, I, I evaluate myself beforehand before I sit down and make a big trade. And 
I, I've also found that one of the best ways to insulate myself from myself is to be well diversified. So there you go. It's you have to you have to really know yourself before you sit down in front of the computer trade. So you talked about being diversified, but I, I somebody asked the question and I want to talk about the other side of that. So is it better to put your Bitcoin into a few alts you like, or should you own like 20 to 30 alts so they catch profits on all the pumps? You know, for, for me, I do think part of that depends on how much you have to trade with. And I know that's kind of a shitty response, but it's a lot easier to make money when you have money. And, and that is a fact. If I have um, a tenth of Bitcoin in 10 different coins and you have two tenths of a Bitcoin in 10 different coins and within the same coins, you're going to make a greater return on your investment than I will. And therefore, you're going to have more to invest after you take profits. Uh, so that said, I, I think it, it depends on where you stand and what you're comfortable with. I, I think growing your investment is the most important thing. And the most reliable way to grow your investment is to do it slowly by grinding it up. Yes, you may get lucky and catch a 50, 80, 100, 200% moon. And if you do, I'm really, really happy for you. I hope you take your profits. But if you only try to catch those, if you're only looking for a 100% you know, moonshot and nothing else, what you're going to do is you're going to miss 20 10% gains. And you're going to end off worse than where you were. Yeah. And so for me, from a diversity standpoint, it's, um, you know, I... Uh, for me, it's all about how many positions can I manage? Because I did have a, a time where I was trading uh, 30 plus coins uh, because everything was just blowing up. And, and they weren't like, you know, top 20 coins either. I was just had bought like one of everything that I saw tweeted on um, Cryptopia and uh, what else was it? Oh, and stocks, no, co coins markets dot com back in those days and i was just like waiting for because all these coins were going like 500 to a thousand percent plus um and so i was like if i just buy you know a little bit of this and a little bit of that and i have all these positions that whenever it blows up i'll be good but the truth is is that i could not keep track of that many positions um the ones that did pump i had trouble selling um because you know, the pumps would happen so fast and I might not notice it on my block folio or, you know, it was block folio. Then I use Delta now. Um, I might not notice it right away. Uh, I, you know, I can only, I only have a certain account on trading view, so I can only set so many alarms. So I can't set alarms for all 30 coins either. And I didn't have a good system and I got really stressed out because I had all this money on like 17 different exchanges and I couldn't keep them all straight. And that was really, really stressful for me. And from a diversity standpoint, I don't think that that was a good move for me. Um, I, it was slightly profitable, but the whole market was profitable. So I bet if I sat down and, you know, and, and tried to do it off of like a, uh, an index, um, I wouldn't have done much better doing that. And then I also exposed myself to a lot of risk because I was in all these exchanges that were really, really small. And like when coins markets disappeared, um, I lost a, a lot of, you know, a lot of value 
Uh, and then eventually I got a lot of those coins back, but it was 90 days later and they had lost, um, you know, 80, 90% of their Bitcoin value at that point. And I was just kind of like stuck. So I, I, I currently, you know, I have a, a decent part of my bag that I trade with regularly. And then I have a couple moonshot coins. Like, um, what was the one we got? We were talking about last week. OCN. Is that, is that the one? There's OCN and there's Octus. I don't know if you were here. For I, that, I haven't gotten the Octus yet. Cause I, uh, IDEX is like one of those exchanges that like, uh, you know, I don't, I, it takes a lot of work to buy a trade. And by the time I looked at, looked at it, it had already like mooned a little. Um, but yeah, so like OCN's a bag where it's like, that's a 10X or $0. And, um, and I'm going to forget about it for a while, but I can't actively manage 20 or 30 coins. And if that's your personality style, like go for it. But I think you can make just as much money while managing less positions um, and you'll get a higher return per trade, which feels good too. If you're only making like, I mean, it's all relative, but if you're only making a small amount of actual dollars, even if it's a big percent win on, on 30 different trades, it doesn't feel as gratifying as when you like have four or five solid positions and one doubles and you made like, you know, a significant amount of actual dollars. That is true, but I do think it's it's important to counter that by saying you don't want to, you know, be in too few positions, right? You don't want to have, you know, fifty percent of your capital in one coin, or eighty, ten, yeah, or eighty, with a ten percent <laughs> stop loss and overnight Bitcoin sneezes, and you know, you you got wicked out of that coin, and boom, there goes a couple hundred dollars, right? Um, it is all about managing your risk and and yeah i think coin brings up a very good point about you know managing 30 coins at once is not very good risk management either um, for me i only actively trade on binance um, any other coins i have on like kucoin or bitrex or anything i do not touch uh, i will look at like once every two or three weeks and Anything I get on IDEX or HitBC or any of those shittier exchanges, they go they go on my or ICOs uh, ICOs as well. They go in my cold storage wallet and I monitor them on Explorer. But I have my cold storage wallet, which is locked up in a safe, which is just enough of a pain in the ass for me to say I'm not touching it. And in six months, when we're in full on alt season and a lot of those coins have done, you know, literally 50 times over, then yeah, like I'll whip it out and I'll probably sell them. Speaking of uh, putting up a uh, cold storage, um, did you ever look at that uh, Shamir's secret sharing um, thing that I had shared uh, in security? No. I'd like you to take a look at it. It's something that uh, I had done, uh, but now I want somebody with some like math or or just a, a critical eye, which I feel like you have, uh, to take a look at. So what it is is it's a um, it's a script uh, that uses uh, basically an encryption algorithm that I loaded onto a cold computer, so not internet connected. Um, I put my uh, seed words for my cold storage Bitcoin wallet into it. It breaks it into three um, QR codes. And then I only need two of the QR codes to reconstitute my, uh, my seed words. So I have one 
um, at, at, at three different locations that are not connected to each other, um, but are all close with me. So either uh, two of them would have to conspire against me together, or um, two of them would have to have their, their copy destroyed for me to have my, my code compromised. I mean, that sounds really good and it sounds really safe. Personally, I'm a little bit lazier than that. Um, I came up with my own encryption algorithm that has a base sequence that I know in my head and will never forget. Uh, and I just encrypted it, you know, plain text and I keep it on my computer and on hard drives and stuff because without, you know, it's like a 40 digit cipher without that, you know, good fucking luck. Do you want to uh, answer this question about uh, the SEC labeling e uh, Ethereum or XRP as uh, potential securities? So I will try. I'm. I will open by saying I don't believe I am qualified in any way to have a strong opinion about this. Um. <laughs> I just saw this. I just saw this last last question. Okay. Um, no. Sure. Um, but no. I. I will say. Um, I. Th I think it's bullish. If we have the SEC labeling Ethereum and XRP as securities, I think that is bullish. I think there is a lot more money sitting on the sidelines out there that is not in Bitcoin than most of us can conceive of in a rational way. And I think there are things like this, you know, coins being labeled as securities um, are one of the requisite uh, uh, happenings that need to go on in order to get some of this money in here. Uh, and I do, I do have an unpopular opinion that I think XRP is a, is a fundamentally necessary coin to the market. I, I admit it is centralized. I admit <sighs> it is decentralized. It, it goes against the uh, decentralized nature of cryptocurrency. Um, but I also like crypto banks and crypto lending because I think, you know, to get your Uncle Joe or your, you know, Nana Ann, you know, into crypto, which is a fundamentally necessary step in adapting this to be a global infrastructure that persists long after us, then you need, you need to have your Uncle Joe be able to pick up a phone and press two buttons and be in crypto without thinking about it and without, you know, really having to have you as the family crypto expert come over and explain it to them. You know, these are people who can't, you know, couldn't program their VCRs 20 years ago and can't set the clock on the stove. You know, they know banks and, and they know lending and they know security and they don't want to think of things like internet money. Um, I, I think, you know, labeling things as securities, I think uh, cryptocurrencies that are backed by banks, I, th I think, that is a nice, easy way to, to bring in these outliers that will otherwise never get in the market. The American dollar is a Ponzi scheme and they need to get over it, Saf. They need to accept the truth that all <gasps> money is made up and not valuable. Now, I have a lot of thoughts on this SEC um, stuff. I think that security tokens, which I'm sure we'll have a roundtable discussion about in the near future, um, is the next big step for this space. Um, so the thing about securities regulation is when, um, when you have an asset that is traded as an investment, um, 
there, a lot of money comes to the table. And when a lot of money comes to the table, a lot of very smart people get involved on both sides of that. Um, there are going to be people who are going to try to push the limits on what that system can do. And there's going to be people that are going to be trying to take advantage of those who know less. So, you know, this regulation is supposed to offer clarity and some guidelines for us to follow. Now, you know, if we got really into it, I think that crypto needs uh, some specific guidelines that are different than traditional securities uh, because of what they can possibly represent. And I'm sure, uh, you know, the line between a utility token and a security token is very, very fine and, and, and has a lot of gray. Um, but I do not believe that Ethereum is ultimately going to be uh, addressed today as um, a security. I think that they will consider uh, the ICO of Ethereum uh, a security. But right now, Ethereum as a network really stands as a utility. Um, and I have seen some legal argument with some uh, precedent. I'm not a you know legal expert, so I don't really know. Uh, that made a lot of sense in that regard. Uh, the problem with security tokens is uh, they will need their own exchange, whether that be a decentralized exchange or a security token exchange. Um, they're, they're probably not going to be listed uh, on Bittrex or Binance. Um, Bittrex has explicitly said that they um, are not listing tokens that they consider to possibly be securities. And um, these exchanges are already operating in a lot of gray areas, and they are not going to want to officially pick up a security token uh, for that reason. Uh, but T0 is starting a... Um, uh, a securities exchange. Um, I think it was Open Finance uh, that I shared earlier this week uh, is is also listing security tokens. And security tokens might be the rise of the DEX for us. Right now, DEX decentralized exchanges have very little liquidity because people have very little incentive to use them uh, when the centralized exchanges just have uh, better interfaces and more liquidity. And liquidity begets liquidity. Uh, but if security tokens are the one and only place to invest in these products, uh, we might see uh, a mass adoption of a DEX. Um, so I'm, I'm watching closely for that. Um, so I think there we only have time for probably one more question, if I'm looking at this right. Um, and I, I like Nacho's question, so you can agree with me if you think this is a good one to end on. Uh, do you think this alt season will create new all-time highs in most of the coins because there's new mass adoption and money coming in? I sure hope so. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess I'll I'll throw my hat in saying I don't think we're in an alt, in alt season yet. Um, I think maybe we're in like alt month or, you know, that alt spring or, you know, maybe we don't even need to label it and we can just say, you know, like, hey, we're all having a good time and making some money. Um, but no, I, I do not think we're in the so-called alt season. I think we are about a couple hundred billion dollars away of market cap away from being able to be in alt season. Now, I wasn't in the market for the beginning of the last alt season, so that may seem like a strong opinion, but even if we say that we see new all-time highs in these coins and stuff and everything's pumping and whatever right now, when we're back up to, you know, a market cap that's double where we are right now, and there is a ton of new money in here, a ton of 
inexperienced money. Um, just think of, you know, how much more coins will run there. There's a, an example that I really like saying, and I can, I think there's a, a lot of people in here, so I can reach a lot of people with this. Go look at Poe, the, the poet coin in the last week of December and the first week of January. And if you're on trading view, use the, the price and date tool. And if you want to know what alt season is, you run that price date tool from the beginning of the very first run of Poe in, in late December until the all-time high in early January. That is alt season, and we are not there yet. But here's the thing, Seth. Uh, you know, people that have been around for a long time say that the December runs wasn't even an alt season. So like compared to some of the like parabolic growth that we had um, on, on a majority of coins, um, uh, you know, in the market, that that was a relatively small um, growth. However, due to the, the growth of Bitcoin, um, it had the most number of coins uh, go over 200%. Um, so in that in that sense, it wasn't all season. I mean, personally, I do not. I think that you know, I joke about alt season. We all talk about alt spring. Um, that that's not the way the markets work. Um, if we look at what if we look at what predicated like prior um, alt seasons, it was an influx of new money that uh you know spread itself out into the market and i do not see um the that happening i mean if you look at the volume charts um on bitcoin on a usd pair you can see when large amounts of money are injected into the market when there is a large amount of volume on a us dollar pairing that that usually uh, leads to a significant growth in market cap price. I don't see that happening right to the same degree right now. Um, so I don't think there's a ton of new money, uh, not nothing like December money entering the market now. But what we are seeing is uh, the existing money begin to move back into the market um, from Bitcoin into all coins or from Tether into all coins. And so we are gonna see some more significant growth. If I had to make, um, you know, my bold claim is that we may not see um, uh, a, a, a vicious move um, of Bitcoin this year, that, uh, that we might, you know, start to have, uh, you know, more of a, a solid trend in the market coming off of this blow off top that we're going to go sideways or slightly up for a while. And, um, and, and I think overall, we're going to see a much more tame market, uh, specifically due to, uh, futures. And then when we see us dollar pairings for all coins, that's when I really, really believe there will be the next, like, like once Binance becomes a fiat gateway, that's going to be an alt season. Um, but right now, we're just in a volatile market that's going up. And so everyone's making money. So don't forget to take profits because volatility goes both ways. Stop losses, okay. stop losses, stop. I'm, I'm going to jump in there because uh, 
we, we're approaching the hour. Uh, we don't mind going a little bit over, but uh, we don't want to make it too long for the recording. Um, I know one question that's asked multiple times that you might want to answer because I think people are dying to know uh, what kind of indicators you guys use. So if you don't mind answering that for now, then uh, that'd be great. Okay, uh, Coin, you want to take this one first? Sure. Uh, you talked a little bit about what you've used. Um, so I use different indicators on uh, different time frames. Uh, when I am trading on a small time frame, uh, the indicators I use are horizontal support and resistance. And I know that that feels simplistic, um, but in all the trading I've done on short time frames, I feel like the more indicators I have, the more noise that I have. And that um, looking for can bullish candlestick patterns um, that are coincidentally nearing a breakout level of a prior resistance or you know swinging low towards a prior support um, those are the things that is the number one indicator and i have made the most amount of money by placing buys and sells near horizontal support and resistance especially on lower time frames on larger time frames um, that is still true uh, but i really really like the ichimoku cloud uh, I use two Ichimoku clouds. I use one with the doubled settings, which is um, my more conservative cloud. That's 20, 60, 120, 30. And then I have an aggressive cloud, which is uh, 10, 30, 60, 30. Um, hold on one sec. One sec. Sorry, my uh, the push to talk button. Like I can't click the chart and the push to talk at the same time. Um, and so I use the, the conservative cloud most often. And what I am looking for is for coins that are riding above the Kijun, which is the red line, and the Tenken, which is the blue line, which is above the cloud. And that's like where most alts are right now. Most alts on, a, on like a daily time frame uh, or, or four hour time frame, which is like one of my favorite, um, are riding above the cloud, above the Tenken above the, the above the Kijun, above the Tenken. And that is a bullish trend. And if I'm looking for an entry in one of those bullish trends, then I'm going to put a small buy near the blue line, the Tenken, and much larger buy near the red line, the Kijun. Because when you see a, a move go parabolic and blow off of the mean, which is what the cloud is showing you, it's going to return towards the mean when it, uh, when it pulls back. And that's where I find really good entries, which is right above the Kijun. And then I can set stop losses slightly below the Kijun um, because uh, uh, that's usually a really strong level of support. And when I say right below, I mean, um, you know, a few percentage points below. You don't want to get wicked out as it tests the level of support. But the aggressive cloud gives me faster signals. So the Kijun, the, the double cloud gives me more reliable signals. That's where I'm setting long-term buys and sells from. The aggressive cloud, the, the singled settings are going to give me less reliable but faster settings. So if I see a Kijun, uh, a Tenken, Kijun cross on the faster settings, I'm more likely to take a position assuming that will happen later um, on the doubled settings. Okay, so I also use the cloud. Um, I rely on it far less than others. Uh, 
I've been meaning to rely on it more, but it just isn't something that's happened. Um, all the same for me, I use horizontal supports there. I think they're immensely powerful. Um, but actually my, my biggest thing um, are wedges and triangles. Um, I find that there is nothing more powerful in my, um, in the range that I trade in than consolidation patterns. Um, you know, I, I think mastering consolidation patterns and, you know, really pairing them up with what the indicators are doing is the best way to just nail those quick 5% trades, get in, get out. You know, you're at the apex of a triangle, you're at the apex of a wedge, the indicators are all primed, everything's looking juicy. You buy in, you set a sell, you know, four or 5% up and you let it happen. And if it goes, you know, if the coin goes 20%, hey, whatever, that's great for all the long-term holders, but I just made 5%, you know, from a, a look that took me two minutes. And I will take that every single day. Um, but so aside from horizontal support, uh, wedges and triangles, um, I primarily use Stoke RSI actually. Um, not because I think it's incredibly powerful or I, I think it's, you know, an undervalued indicator. Uh, the Stoke RSI, when you look across multiple timeframes, I find is the most highly um, correlating factor to what I look at for model building, which I talked about earlier. I look for patterns more than I look at indicators. Um, if I find something is overextended, oversold, or overbought for a period that's unusually long, that is a huge indicator for me to start scouring the charts for the last three, four, five times that happened, um, looking at the price action that resulted, the date, the price range, how other indicators acted at those previous times um, with respect to what the price action was doing and the stock RSI was doing and all these other, other things. Um, and then I can say, okay, with what I know there, plus what I know about where my horizontal supports and resistances are and where the market is now, you know, I can say, okay, I'm confident this is gonna do 40% in the next two days. And I throw in a position and I let it go. And that's not something I think that can be taught. I think that's it, something that everyone, once you do technical analysis enough, you'll find your own things that you feel really comfortable with using. Um, and some people may tell you you're stupid for using them. I get told I'm stupid all the friggin' time. But if it works for you, that's all that really matters. Um, and if it doesn't make sense to other people, that's fine. Whatever, let other people trade off what they want to trade off. You know, if something works for you, stick with it and hone it and make it a skill that makes you money. Yeah, because to be clear, the, the only thing that all of these indicators are taking information from are the price action on the chart. So they are simply calculations done off of existing, the existing base information that are supposed to give you a visualization of some information that you can calculate from that price action. So the indicators that work for you are just shortcuts. Um, they're all valid, but you have to learn what is that shortcut telling you about the price action um, that another shortcut might not tell you. 
Um, so I don't think there are any wrong indicators. Uh, there's just indicators you get comfortable with because you understand what they are shortcutting for you and what to look for in those shortcuts. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. Um, for all the questions that have not been answered or maybe you skipped over or like there's no time to um, for, for us to answer them right now, um, we will be in the normal general chat where you can ask some questions with your, your voice or in text, whatever you want. Um, so if you want to do that, please join us. Um, that'd be great. Thank you for all joining. And I'd like to give uh, our contributors like one last chance to um, uh, leave you all with like one final tip um, or uh, one final wisdom, as you like, uh, to leave you with on your trading journey. Uh, we hope you learned something or at least uh, had some fun, I guess. Uh, yeah, so thank you for all coming. And uh, if you want to leave your wisdom right now, Seth, and uh, Coinspiracy, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so for me, you, number one thing is don't get knocked out of this game financially or emotionally. Like uh, we're all having a great month. We're making a ton of money right now if you're basically in any altcoin. But, you know, uh, last month we didn't all feel this way. What you want to be thinking about is what this is all going to mean a year from now. Crypto is faster than any market I've ever been in, but this is a marathon not a sprint. So do not knock yourself out financially or emotionally because um, it's really, really hard to conceptualize like what your account can look like a year from now. And, uh, and, and I'm really excited to like see what happens with this group because this group has been awesome for me. I mean, I feel like for the most part, I'm plugged into some good pieces of information but the traders in this group has have kept me, give me some serious alpha. Like I feel like I'm already in trades um, this last two weeks by the time everyone else on Twitter is tweeting about it. Um, and that's been really, really cool. So I want to thank you all for that too. So I, I will say, I want to emphasize that I, I came into this not as an investment person, not as somebody who liked uh, investment and it's been really exciting and I echo Coin's sentiment about not getting knocked out. The reason I stay and the reason I'm really being so much more active in this than I am in a lot of other areas of my life is because I truly do think we're in a unique experience here. I think the next five to 10 years are going to be a time period in human history uh, that hasn't been seen since the advent of the stock market itself. Uh, we're in the wild west here. We are, as you've seen on the charts, we are the early adopters. I think there's more money to be made here, you know, by novices and casuals and kids, you know, and adults and retirees than there is anywhere else in the world right now. And I, I think it's worth the time and emotion and, you know, psychological investment because, you know, I mean, think, I worked very hard. Uh, you know, I have a 403B. I am set for retirement. But, you know, honestly, if I can make a, you know, a ton of money doing this and continue doing what I love with no stress, you know, I, I think that's priceless. And I, th I think we're in a position where all of us can help each other out. And that's what this community has, is being built for is for all of us to learn from each other and help each other out and support each other financially well not financially strictly speaking but you know help each other out with trades and emotionally and you know to be friends and everything so we can all 
take advantage of this unique experience. Okay. Um, again, thanks for uh, thanks to you guys uh, for uh, joining here and uh, sharing your uh, your thoughts and your ideas here. Um, I hope people enjoyed it.